Hello and welcome to the Forge Church Catch-Up Podcast. We're delighted that you've chosen to press play on this podcast today. My name is Johnny and I'm part of the teaching team here at the Forge. Each Sunday, our hope and prayer is to provide practical teaching directed by God that ties into everyday life. We hope that today's talk encourages you. Let me ask you a question that I've been considering recently. What would you own if you had no idea what other people owned? Or what would you want if you had no idea what other people wanted? Or perhaps this is the question, what would you save if you had no idea what other people spent their money on? Or maybe this slightly longer question, what would you have given away to those who have less than you uh, that you eventually kept because you knew what others who had more than you kept for themselves too? Those are some challenging questions, and if you spend any time really thinking about it or asking those questions to yourself, you'll probably come to the same conclusion as I did. I know too much. I do. And you do as well. You know too much. If you struggle with those questions as I did, if, I can't, if you can't fully answer them comprehensively, you know too much as well. Because think about it. If you know the times in your life when you are most discontent, or if you can look back on those moments and recognize the moments where, where you're deeply saddened by either things that you possess or things that you own or, or how you've used those different things, it's true that that discontentment often comes far more from what we know more than the things that we don't. We're in a series at the moment called guardrails, and you've heard this before, but we all know what guardrails look like. We all know what they're there for. We find them in the middle of the road to stop us from straying into areas that we don't want to go. Now, the crazy thing is, is that often these guardrails are in a place in which we're prepared to go, but they stop us from being in a place that we wouldn't want to accidentally end up. And it's the same in our lives, in all the areas of our lives, we need guardrails to stop us from straying into places that we accidentally don't want to end up. And so today, I want to start asking some of those questions that we asked at the beginning as we start to look at this area of possession or finance and the things that we own. Now, already some of you are considering scrolling down or switching off, but I really want to encourage you to stick with us. Maybe you're here today and you're a Christian or you're a Jesus follower and you'd consider yourself to be just that. And if that is you, we're going to look at some things that Jesus said that a lot of Christians don't do, but really every Christian really should do. And we're going to look at some wisdom that if we really took seriously, could change our lives and could put guardrails in place from us ending up in places and situations that we really don't want to end up. But perhaps you're watching with us today and you're not someone who considers themselves a Jesus follower. You don't often perhaps go to church or consider yourself uh, somebody who is a Christian of any sort. If that's you, we are so glad that you're watching with us today. And I want to give you some of the best news. You are completely off the hook. You don't need to worry. You don't need to do anything off the back of what I'm going to say. Now, I would love you to listen in and keep on listening because there is going to be some wisdom uh, that could change the way in which you may have considered treating possessions and finances. Uh, there might be areas of your life and steps of faith that you may have never considered making before on the back of what is going to be said today. But if you're someone who doesn't follow Jesus, Jesus doesn't have any authority over your life, you really don't have to do anything. 
What you should be though, and regardless of your faith background and regardless of uh, whether you're someone who has faith or not, you should be curious over what Jesus said. Partly because Jesus' reputations around finances, particularly when he lived, was completely different to the churches. I mean, Jesus spoke a lot about money, but never asked for any of it. I think it's fair to say that church often, and we've said this before, has a reputation for not really speaking about it, but always asking for it. When you look at Jesus's parables, uh, almost half of them are around possession and finance, and yet you very, very rarely uh, see Jesus asking for any money. In fact, the one time that Jesus does ask for money, he asks for a coin as an example, and then he gives it back afterwards. But also, Jesus knew something about possessions, and Jesus knew something about finances. He knew that they would be the biggest competitor to the human heart that the human would ever face. Possessions and finances play such a part in how we live, and Jesus knew this, and so Jesus wanted to talk an awful lot about it. So I want to dive into some wisdom and dive into a truth that Jesus said when he was on earth. It's recorded by a guy called Matthew, uh, who was a follower of Jesus, and this is a time that Jesus once spoke to some of his friends. He said, No one can serve two masters. Now, this idea of masters is a bit of a maybe foreign concept. We don't often talk about masters in the way that they probably did 2,000 years ago. But this is really referring to anything that could possibly own someone else. This could be a thing, this could be a person, this could be a deity. Master really incorporates all of those different things. And so Jesus is saying, no one can serve two masters. You could only serve one master. And then he says, either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Now, I find it fascinating when Jesus says this, that he doesn't say you can't serve both God and the devil. I mean, that would be the thing that you'd almost expect him to say. But actually, Jesus knows the biggest competitor for the human heart that the human will ever face will often be possessions or finance. But there's something else that's going on here as well that's incredibly significant. Jesus recognized the biggest problem when it came to finances and possessions wasn't finance or possession. It was actually ownership. It was ownership. It kind of leads us to this question. Do we own our money or does our money own us? Let me explain what I mean by that. I mean, imagine you're on a road and on each side of the road, there are these big cliff edges. It's like on one side, we have the problem of consumption. It's something that we just want to consume and consume and consume and consume. It's something that's really pushed to us with a desire. And then on the other side of the road of possession and finance, we have a hoarding mentality, not consumption, but hoarding. And that's really driven to us by fear that if I don't have enough of this, if I don't have enough of this, if I don't have enough of this, on either side of that cliff edge is a place where money owns us more than we own our money. Either consumption, where we feel like we constantly have to do in order that we get, or hoarding, where we constantly have to save, otherwise X, Y, and Z. Interestingly, despite these two areas being on different sides of the cliff, actually they're driven by the same thing. They're driven by greed. 
And maybe you've never considered yourself being a greedy person, and I don't want to call you a greedy person or anything like that, but actually we all have a tendency to sway to one side of the cliff or the other. And when we do, it's actually driven by this idea of greed. What's greed? Well, Andy Stanley gives a brilliant definition for it. Greed is the assumption that it is all for your consumption. It's the assumption that when you get, it's for you. When you get, when you win, when you save, when you receive, all of that of what you gained is all for you. And yet here's the problem when we have that mentality, when we sway to either side of those cliffs and when we don't put guardrails on the road that we're on and we end up down one of those valleys. The problem is, is that we all know that that leads to places that we don't ever really want to get. When money starts to own us and we live with a sense of, uh, of desperation or an anxiety, when we realize that we don't live with the peace that we're intended to have, when we have those sleepless nights, when there are decisions that are being made for us by somebody else who don't even know our names, when we find ourselves in that pit because we've either been too full of desire to consume or too full of fear in order that we hoard because of our own greed, we all do exactly the same thing. We pray. And those prayers can look completely different to one another. It can either be a long thought out prayer. It can either be one of those bargaining prayers that we've all kind of done at one point where we say, God, if you do this, then I will do this in return. Or maybe it's just yelling out, God, I need something right now. I need you to clear up the mess that I have made. We all do it. We all find ourselves in a situation where we have nothing left to do than to pray. And those situations are of varying degrees. Maybe you found yourself really in that situation. Maybe you flirted with those situations in life here or there. But whenever we do that, what we're actually doing is we're inviting God into our situations. We're saying, God, before when you weren't part of this situation, I was in control or I thought I was in control. And in reality, money owned me more than I owned my money and it led to disaster. I need you to come in and clear up some of my mess. And so this is the question. Why don't we invite God in earlier? Why don't we invite God into our finances now? Why don't we treat finances in a different capacity than what perhaps we're used to? And you might think that the idea of inviting God into an area of your life feels a little bit uncomfortable. In fact, actually, it might fill you with a whole bunch of discomfort, particularly because you're inviting him into an area of finance. But we all know where we end up when we think that we're in control, when actually money owns us more than we own money, when we sway either into too much consumption or too much hoarding, where we can go into too much desire or too much fear, when ultimately when we become greedy. It often leads to that anxiety and lack of peace. God wants to invite you into a different way of living, a different way of treating finances where money is not your master, but instead something else is that actually leads to a far better way of living. And as I said at the beginning, if you are someone who's a Jesus follower, this is something you really need to hear and something that you really need to do because it will lead to a far better way of living. If you're not a Jesus follower, then listen in because maybe you've never considered living like this before. 
Let me put it like this. When we decide that money is our master, when really money owns us more than we own money, this tends to be the priority list. This tends to be the order of priorities. Number one, live, me first mentality. Number two, save, me second mentality. And then number three, if there's anything else, if there's anything more, then we give. And that seems to make sense. And in fact, that tends to be the way in which most of us operate and most of us decide to go. But when we live in that way, what we're really doing is we're saying that there is nothing more to this world than this world. There is nothing more than what we've got right now. And actually, that just isn't the case. In fact, we can be making decisions with our finances that go beyond just our lives. All of us, in fact, I would say 99%, maybe even 100% of you watching right now will run out of time before you run out of money. You will have money left over beyond you. And the way in which you can live can actually turn that around in the best possible way. When Jesus was on earth, when you look at the way that Jesus taught around finances, and we're going to look a little bit more at some, uh, an example later on, Jesus's teachings can almost be summarized like this in a different way of prioritizing. Number one, give. Number two, save. Number three, live. It's almost like if you have a child's piggy bank, instead of all putting it in just one slot, you have three different slots. You have the give slot first that you put um, a bit in before anything else. Then you have a bit of saving uh, money and that all tends to accumulate and go up as well. And then you have the consumption, the living piggy bank, and that's what you live from. Let me tell you, the people that I know who are most content live like this. Honestly, it's true. And in fact, you can put this to the test as well. If you can think of the most generous person you know, and then the person who actually owns the most amount of stuff, because actually they can be two different people, ask yourself, who looks the most content? Who do you know that's actually more content? Maybe they're the same person. And I would guarantee almost that the reason that they are content is probably far more likely because of their generosity than it is just because of what they own. When we live like this, when we make these decisions before time, we are in control. Money no longer controls us. We decide where it's going long before it has the opportunity to get a hold of us. Now, this isn't about the church getting your money. This isn't about me getting your money. If you genuinely fear that, then you have full permission to ask me. I'll give you my bank statements and I can point out the embarrassing bits and I can point out how I try my best to try and live like this as well. If you're genuinely concerned, that is the case. But this is far more than that. This is putting guardrails in place in order that you are no longer a slave to the things that you really should be owning. Jesus, when he said these words around uh, not serving two masters, continues and he says this. So do not worry, saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? It's kind of interesting that thousands of years later on, those tend to be the concerns for us today as well. And then he says, for the pagans run after all of these things and your heavenly father knows that you need them. 
Now the pagans would have had all of these different gods in which they would have to try to appease in order that they would receive. And we might think of that as a kind of a distant way of living in a way that's not kind of how we would live. But in reality, it certainly is the case, isn't it? That we go after all of these different things in order that we can consume or order that we can hoard in the way that we do. But actually, Jesus says, no, listen, there is a heavenly father who is more personal personal than that. He wants you. He wants a relationship and a closeness with you. And he knows what you need. And when you decide that you're going to own your money rather than be owned your money, it allows the space whereby you can follow a God who genuinely cares and can provide for you. And so then Jesus says this, but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be given to you as well. And again, this idea of kingdom can be a bit alien to us, but this kingdom is an others first mentality. It's a kingdom of peace. It's a kingdom of knowing who our heavenly father is. And in one of Jesus's most famous prayers, the Lord's prayer, as we know it, that he taught his disciples, he talks about how we can bring heaven to earth. We can bring some of that kingdom to earth with an others first mentality. And Jesus invites you into that, not to be owned by something that you were to own, but to serve a father and to know a father who wants something better for you. For some of us, it's time to put some guardrails up around some of the things that we possess and the finances that we use in order to get the things that we possess. It's time now to put up some guardrails. That's all for this week. Thanks once again for joining us. We'd love to keep the conversation going, so why not check out Forge Church UK on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram? Or go online at forgechurch.com where you can watch other content, find the next step, give financially, or see any details of what's currently going on in and around the fall. We're looking forward to you joining us next time.